Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to 1001 True Stories. My name is Brian Trombley, your host thank you for joining me. This show is where you'll get to meet some of the nicest people on earth. Most of them are just regular, ordinary, everyday folks who experience something worth talking about. It could be anything from a ghost story to a celebrity encounter to a close call, maybe a family camping adventure that went wrong. The theory here is that everyone has a story to tell and we'd like to hear it. Today's guest on 1001 True Stories is Mike Haggath. He's a pilot. What would you do if you couldn't pull the plane that you were flying out of a climb? Hello, folks, and thank you for joining me. On the line today, I have a new guest for our show, and I'm going to let him introduce himself. Um, I will say that he's uh, a pilot, and he's had some interesting experiences in the air. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, hey there. Uh, thanks so much, Brian, for having me. My name is Mike Haggath. Um, I am 32 years old. I am an alternative indie musician uh, currently residing in Barrie, Ontario, but I've kind of made the rounds uh, a little bit. We'll, we'll get to chat a little bit about that as we go. Um, I, I play all sorts of instruments. I've been writing music my whole life, and uh, it's, it's really, really good to be here. So thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Now, of course, the main thing is that you are a pilot. Um, you fly in the right seat for uh, an airline here in Canada called WestJet, correct? That is uh, correct, yeah, yeah. Excellent. What what uh, planes do you fly for uh, WestJet, Mike? Uh, so uh, right now I fly uh, the Boeing 737, uh, so the next generation models. Uh, for those of you uh, airplane uh, geeks out there, I fly the... Uh, the 700 and 800 variants of the next generation model. And then uh, we also have a fleet of uh, Max 8. Uh, so I fly those as well. Nice. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And uh, you would be what they call the first officer, correct? Uh, that is correct. Or co-pilot or uh, dude who uh, is usually to blame if the cabin's too hot or too cold. <laughs> All the environmental controls are on your side of the cabin. <laughs> that they are. <laughs> There you go. Excellent. Well, Mike, um, like I said, you have a, a two loves in your life, and that's uh, as you introduced yourself actually as a musician. But of course, you also love to fly. Tell folks the um, Reader's Digest version of your journey into uh, into uh, flight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, before we go any further, uh, and and this this might be uh, showing my age or lack thereof. Reader, Reader's Digest is that the long form or the short form? <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be the short form. 
<laughs> ah, spark notes. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> uh, something like that. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, so I was born and raised in uh, Windsor, Ontario. Um, born in '91, and uh, we had uh, family um, locally, and then on my mom's side, we had a lot of family in Chicago. And uh, later on, my grandparents on my mom's side actually moved down to uh, Hilton Head Island down in South Carolina which was uh, really, really cool. So we used to travel quite a bit uh, to, to see family because you, you always, you know, you want to see everybody as, as much as you can. Um, and, you know, the trips to Chicago, they weren't ever bad because it was, you know, you hop on an I-94, uh, cross at Detroit there, and five hours you're, you're in uh, Chicago. But, um, you know, there is a, a more convenient way to do it, uh, especially with the, uh, you know, when you're traveling with a young kid. Um, who maybe doesn't want to sit still in a car for five or six hours, and that is to get on an airplane and make that journey in half an hour. Um, so all through the 90s, uh, we we flew quite a bit. I became a, a little bit of a frequent flyer, and, um, you know, I really contest, or, or um, you know, I really, um, um, you would argue that the 90s were the golden age of air travel. I kind of got to fly them all, you know, Northwest, Continental, uh, U.S. Air, all of them. Uh, loved them to bits. So by the time I was about four years old, um, I had my entire life uh, figured out. Uh, the whole plan, it was set and it was, um, you know, th there was no looking back at that point. And, um, yeah, I, I decided right uh, from that very young age, I said, I'm going to fly airplanes and I'm going to make music. Um, and that's, that's, you know, really all I want to do with my life is, is just uh, those two things. And I, you know, maybe... If I try really hard, I might even be able to do one or both of those things well. Uh, jury's still out. Um, <laughs> so when I was uh, 18 years old, a fresh graduate out of high school, um, I uh, put Windsor in the rearview mirror and uh, moved up to Sault Ste. Marie um, and attended the, uh, the flight school uh, through the college in the Sioux. And I ended up living in the Sioux for seven years. Um, it's... Uh, you know, I, I still, um, even now, I try to make it back there as much as I can. It's my favorite place on earth. Um, you know, I, I really grew up there. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to just go to school, get your license and get out. Um, but I've got a lot of lived experience there, which, um, you know, I, I really credit for the person I am today. Um, yeah, so after, after the Sioux, uh, I... Uh, I got my uh, commercial pilot license, my multi-engine rating, and my instrument rating all through uh, through the college. Uh, so completing that program in 2017, I uh, moved up to a uh, small mining town um, 500 miles north of Winnipeg, and that was Thompson, Manitoba. And I uh, lived there for uh, five years. I started as a baggage handler and then uh, the first officer or co-pilot on a, on a Metroliner airplane. Um, which is a twin turbo prop 19 uh, seater uh, airplane. Uh, and then uh, my last uh, year and a bit there, uh, I was a captain on that aircraft um, and uh, amassed about 2,000 flight hours before uh, moving back to Ontario, accepting the job with, uh, with WestJet. And uh, uh, now my uh, beautiful wife and I live in Barrie. Um, so 32 years old, and that was kind of the, 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 the journey to coming to live the dream, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> flights and airplanes have been in the news lately uh, with 
unfortunately, not necessarily good news. <laughs> you never hear good news about an airline at sometimes or airplane happenings. And um, well, typically, no news is good news. Yeah, with, there you uh, go. With the airlines. That's the that's the way to put it. So, um, I mean, let's put it this way: when you're a pilot, not every flight is perfect, right? So, uh, what's your experience, Mike? With um, uh, how should I say, uh, maybe having a come to Jesus moment while you're in the cockpit? <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's it's funny. So my I think my biggest come to Jesus uh, moment, as as you put it, uh, actually happened a few years after I uh, sort of um, um, became uh, a little more atheistic, I suppose, after being raised as uh, as uh, as as one of the um, followers of Jesus, I suppose that was, that's kind of funny. (laughs) Um, and, um, um, I'll tell you about this, uh, this, this moment. It is, it is kind of funny though. Um, you know, everybody says, uh, oh, you know, when you're, when you're an atheist and you're, you're, you're like right on the edge, you know, you always say, oh God, or, you know, yeah, you never stay an atheist at that point. Well, yeah, I don't know. My experience was certainly different. (laughs) Say, right. There's no atheists in foxholes. Yeah, and and uh, I I uh, suppose I'm living proof. I'm I'm the one and only. So uh, you've got yourself a very special guest on the line today. <laughs> um, so continue on now. What uh, tell me about this uh, possibilities here of of problems while you're in the air? Like I said, you're come to Jesus moments. Well, <laughs> yeah. Let, let, well, let's, um, let's hear about those. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you're when you're a pilot, you're trained, uh, you know, the very uh, rigid rules of uh, flight. It's a science, right? I, I mean, some parts of it are certainly an art, you know, uh, maybe a smooth landing, um, yeah, things like that. Maybe there's a bit of art to it, but uh, the majority of, of flight is uh, predicated on um, very rigid uh, science, right? Um, you know, right down from the, the, the coefficient of lift, uh, these, these uh, massive formulas and all these things that aerospace engineers calculate that uh, a, a little jockey like me uh, certainly couldn't wrap his damn head around. Um, so, you know, you kind of learn uh, very early on, you know, the basics of, of flying an airplane. Uh, for example, you've got the yoke in your hand. Uh, and if you pull that back, um, the houses get smaller because the nose goes up. <laughs> and if you push it forward, the houses get bigger as the nose goes down, right? So, uh, you know, these are very basic things. So right from your very, very first flight lesson, uh, what do you want to do if you want the nose to go up? Well, you pull back. What do you want to do when you want the nose to go down as you push forward? Now, this becomes very, very crucial. Uh, when you're dealing with uh, certain uh, complications, let's say, um, whereas uh, you may find yourself in an airplane that um, does not respond the way it's built to. We'll return to our conversation with Mike Haggath right after these sponsor messages. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
And now back to 1001 True Stories with Brian Trombley. To certain flight control inputs. Uh, maybe uh, it's not responding the way it was engineered to. And it's not responding to the way that you, the pilot, have been trained uh, t- for it to respond. Um, and that that can be a, a, a bit of a situation. And I, I do have one uh, such situation that sticks out. Um, I was in uh, Sault Ste. Marie at the time. I was flying a twin-engine airplane as a, called a Piper Seminole. Um, so uh, a twin-piston airplane, um, seats for four people on board. It was myself and an instructor. We were getting ready uh, for my final flight test um, before getting my, um, my uh, multi-engine instrument rating. My, it's called a Group 1 uh, IFR. Um, yeah, so we showed up to the airport and it was a, uh, a beautiful morning and I was very, very ready to, uh, get in this airplane and go. Um, now our operations manager who kind of oversees the fleet and who gets in what airplane and all that good stuff, pulled me into his office and he said, Mike, uh, why are you here today? I said, well, I'm on the schedule. I said, I've got this flight I need to get done. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful day. I said, why, why are you surprised to see me here? I said, I was scheduled. He said, well, yeah, he said, because the airplane um, had uh, a trim runaway yesterday. So we'll back up real quick. I'll tell you what a trim runaway is. So um, you can pull the, the yoke back and the nose goes up. You could push the yoke forward and the nose goes down. Um, but at some point along the way, you might just want the nose to stay pretty well on the horizon. So you get to your altitude and you just want to hold that altitude. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you don't want to sit there for three hours uh, holding the yoke in a very specific position. Your arms get very tired and it's jerky and it's not a very good science. So um, what airplane engineers did a long time ago is they uh, invented uh, what's called a trim. So these are little tabs on the back of the elevators. The elevators are the control surfaces that deflect up and down, move the nose up and down. These trim tabs sit on the back of those and they move very slightly up and very slightly down. And you can control these either electrically or there's a manual wheel that you can grab and move. Um, And basically, if you set the trim in the exact right spot, you should be able to take your hands off the yoke and the airplane will maintain that pitch attitude. Um, it, It is a bit of a an art uh, to that, I suppose, uh, learning to trim and doing it properly. So can I just interrupt a bit? Yeah. In regards to, see, because that to me, it's, that sounds like autopilot. <laughs> uh, well, it's not quite autopilot because there is no, um, there is no computer guiding any of that. Uh, that is just you uh, hitting a little electric knob up or down, and it just activates a motor that moves that trim tab a little up or a little down. Um, or if that doesn't work, you can grab a manual wheel and you can move it physically yourself. Right. So yeah, that allows the pilot to get a cup of coffee or something like that or have a drink of coffee. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of, I'll take a quick sip here. <laughs> Excellent. And then... Uh, since I've explained to you uh, the theory of how this thing works, 
but we all know that uh, no mechanical system is infallible. Um, maybe now's a good time to explain to you what a trim runaway is. <laughs> it don't sound good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, and it doesn't feel good either. <laughs> uh, so a trim runaway is... Uh, something that happens where the electric motor that um, runs that trim tab and manipulates it up and down um, decides to start moving it on its own without you telling it to. Um, and that can happen. Um, it, it can, and it's, uh, you know, it, it sounds, uh, you know, scary and it can be, but typically the majority of the time you're going to catch this pretty quickly um, as a pilot um, you know, you'll notice, hey, I'm not touching the plane and it's starting to move down on its own. And then you'll typically hear the motor or see something or there'll be some sort of alert in the cockpit that the trim is moving. And then if you're not the one moving the trim, <laughs> then you know that the trim is moving itself. And that's typically not a great thing. Uh, so you can pull a circuit breaker to deactivate it uh, and and you know recover the airplane and it's totally uh totally a a fine procedure in its own right um so with all of this amazing theory of flight and technical information let's go back to the morning of august 5th 2017 where i found myself sitting in the left seat of a piper seminole with my instructor sitting in the right seat and um we uh, had convinced the operations manager to release the airplane to us. Um, now, how we had done this, because he was concerned, um, was uh, with a conversation with uh, our maintenance staff. And our maintenance uh, staff were um, very clear. Um, you can fly the airplane and you do not risk a trim runaway. Uh, like the one that happened to the crew last night on this airplane. As long as you disable both sources of power to the autopilot so in this instance this airplane did have an autopilot which could command trim uh, inputs um, so we talked it over and we said yeah okay we'll pull out the autopilot circuit breaker and leave it pulled for the duration of the flight and we've got an autopilot disconnect button a big red button right on the yoke um, for very easy access should you need to disable and overpower an autopilot. <laughs> uh, it's actually quite the smart design. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, we were released the airplane. We uh, started it up and we taxied. We did our pre-flight checks. Everything seemed okay. So the configuration of the airplane, we said, okay, we'll leave the autopilot circuit breaker pushed in. We will, or sorry, we will... Uh, leave the electric trim circuit breaker pushed in rather pull the autopilot circuit breaker so it is pulled out and then we'll hit the red master disconnect so two sources of the uh, power to the autopilot have now been taken away um, the electric trim uh, circuit breaker we left that pushed in so that i could from my yoke uh, activate the little tab that would send the electrical inputs to the trim system um, without the autopilot having any power, we figured there was no way that it could overpower any of our, uh, inputs or, uh, send malicious inputs to the trim system. So this was fine. Um, 
and it seemed to jive with what man uh sorry maintenance had told us we had disengaged two sources of power to the autopilot um what we believed at the time to be the only two um <laughs> uh oh so we um in that configuration uh, did a test of the electric trim uh on the ground and it uh, tested fine and i looked at my instructor me the student doing his due diligence uh, <laughs> i uh, was was very thorough in my briefing and i said okay in the event that the electric trim fails in the air i will call electric trim not serviceable at which time you will pull out and reset the circuit breaker one time and I will use the manual trim wheel. You can grab it, you can physically manipulate it, and it does the same job, just not quite as quickly as the electric trim does. Uh -huh. um, and then I said, after the reset of that circuit breaker, I'll try the electric trim again. And if it doesn't work, pull it, collar it, and we'll just fly with the manual. Um, and it'll be a pain, but it'll be no big deal. Okay, great. All right on, we've, we've got a plan. Everything tests on pre-flight and we take off. It's a beautiful day and uh, it's a little bumpy and uh, we've got the nose pretty high. It's a little bit sluggish. It's the middle of uh, August and for those of you uh, uh, who don't know very much about airplanes, um, basically the warmer the air is, the less dense it is and then the harder the airplane basically has to work to get lift out of the air. Um, that's why... Um, you know, if you take off out of uh, Las Vegas and out of Toronto, you'll notice the land or the takeoff roll in Las Vegas is significantly longer than the the one in Toronto. Interesting. Um, yeah, something you can uh, check out next time you go flying. Um, so on a uh, bit of a bumpy day, where uh, our you know um, performance isn't that great, we've got the nose up pretty high to you know maintain the climb. It's it's totally routine. Everything's fine. Um, coming up on 5,000 feet, um, which was the altitude that we had filed the flight plan for, I went to lower the nose. Um, and, uh, typically the way you do that is, uh, by just putting in a little, uh, couple of beeps of, um, nose down trim. You don't really have to move the yoke that much. You can kind of fly by trim it's a it's a pretty effective system um as we uh would would soon uh learn just how effective it really can be uh when i uh went to uh put that nose down trim um input in and uh the nose didn't really come down and i thought to myself okay well i might have over trimmed or something like that i went to push the yoke forward um remember push yoke houses get bigger nose goes down uh in my uh very primitive uh 25 year old brain i think i was at the time uh that made sense to me uh so imagine my surprise when i went to push the yoke and it wouldn't move and the nose wouldn't come down oh boy yeah i thought to myself well this isn't quite right um and you're climbing yeah and uh so we're 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 still climbing um, so I, I go to, you know, put in some more, uh, nose down electric trim and that's when I realize, okay, this trim isn't working. So I call out electric trim, not serviceable. 
um, I push that yoke pretty hard. And I'm like, man, this, this yoke is really resisting. I can barely move it. And it's not doing anything. It's so weird. And I reach down for the manual trim. And uh, the manual trim wheel is just a wheel. You grab it, you move it, the stabilizer moves. That's that's all there is to it. Um, theoretically, you should never grab the wheel and feel so much resistance that you cannot move it. Um, that morning I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so all of a sudden, all of these things that you're taught kind of have gone out the window. Well, you push the yoke forward. Well, that didn't work. You put down electric nose down trim well that didn't work you use manual nose down trim well that and now, now that didn't work and i tell my instructor as i'm you know pushing on this yoke with everything i've got and the airplane is still stuck in a climb uh, we'll get to why that's bad in a minute um <laughs> <laughs> i go uh manual trim not re- uh, not serviceable and he looks at me uh, like i have three heads because that's the stupidest call i've ever heard in aviation and manual trim, not serviceable. What do you mean? Your arms don't work? Well, no. Uh, <laughs> it seemed in this case that uh, the the yoke, uh, or sorry, the uh, manual trim wheel was frozen. Um, so he reached down to show me how to use a manual wheel, and then, much to his surprise, one arm didn't do the trick, and two arms reefing on this stupid wheel didn't do the trick either. Um, different wheel. Sorry. This is a different wheel. This is yeah. This is a uh, this is a wheel that's mounted uh, to the the uh, console panel between the two pilots. Um, so if you imagine the cockpit, uh, that that middle console where your uh, throttles might be, and then you've got those little knobs that go kind of down yep. uh, toward the floor. There's a manual wheel is on either side of that, so you can just kind of reach down with your hand, and again hand forward nose goes down house gets bigger and 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 the other way it is the opposite so yeah okay um, at this point um our airplane is out of control and it's stuck nose up uh so we're stuck in a climb the reason that that's bad is because anything in aviation is finite including energy so you have to trade one thing for another and in this case uh because we only had so much power and we were climbing, we were losing airspeed because more of our energy was being put into climbing the airplane uh, than anything else. So we're losing airspeed. The problem with this is eventually you'll lose too much. And when the airplane goes too slow in the air, Mm -hmm. um, you lose your airflow over the wings, which is called an aerodynamic stall. And at that point, the airplane will begin to fall out of the sky and there is a way to recover from that but it needs your control of your up and down motion which we did not have wow Um, yeah so at this point um my instructor looked at me and said i better take this and i laughed and said yes you better you than me i think i said (laughs) uh he said i have control i said you have control um and uh, he said, well, there's only one thing left. And he put his hands up on the uh, the power, uh, the throttles uh, for both engines. And I said, yep, that's it. You better, you better do it. Um, and he reduced the power on both engines to idle power. Uh, the reason that we did this 
was because lift is uh, sort of a byproduct of thrust. So we were hoping that by taking the thrust away, the nose might fall on its own. Yes. Um, however, if that didn't happen and the nose stayed up, we would stall and we would fall out of the air and crash into downtown Sioux, Michigan. Uh, but this was our only option uh, and we were out of time. Uh, and we sat there and leaned forward as much as we could and watched that airspeed slowly roll back. And I uh, believe 55 knots was the stall speed there and the nose swung down just south of 60. Got very close. Oh boy. And the nose didn't swing down very much, but it swung down enough. Um, so we had some control of the airplane at that point. I called the Mayday, uh, and ran checklists for him and monitored his descent profile as he turned back to Sault Ste. Marie and, um, set us up, uh, lined us up with uh, runway 30, uh, for an emergency landing. Uh, now we only had one shot at this. There's no going around. There's no, oh crap, we're too high. We better, you know, pull a 180 or something and try again. Um, we had no pitch control. Uh, so this was it. We had to make this one work. And in the end, uh, he flew a good approach. Um, I monitored it well. And we ended up back on the ground um, with, a, with a nice safe landing. Um, maintenance, uh, of course, had been alerted, met us at the airplane <laughs> uh, where they uh, took a look at the circuit breaker panel and said... Uh, Mike, uh, was this the setting that you had in the air? And I said, yeah. And uh, the mechanic said, well, talk me through this. He said, I said, you need to disengage both sources of power to the autopilot. I said, well, yeah, I did. I said, we, we pulled out the autopilot circuit breaker and we hit the red master disconnect. He said, no. He said, both sources of power to the autopilot are the autopilot circuit breaker and the electric trim circuit breaker. You had to pull that out. Or the autopilot could still get some energy through that circuit. Um, this this was a really important lesson in, um, you know, the difference between an operator's level of knowledge and a mechanic's level of knowledge. It's something that, uh, you know, I don't try to fix my own car. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't try to fix my own airplane. And now I have a, a much healthier respect for just how much more these uh, mechanics really know than than uh, somebody like me, who's basically just a driver. Um, so the long and the short of that is we ended up back on the ground safely. The airplane had uh, suffered a nose up trim runaway in the climb. So it had gone undetected. Uh, and basically what had happened was it had just run and run and run and run. And because we never noticed it and overpowered it, uh, it basically ran until it, uh, physically, um, constrained the cables, uh, to the point where this, the entire stabilizer assembly jammed out of what would be considered normal, safe operating flight limits. Um, so we were test pilots basically at that point. Um, and there was no blame assessed. There was an investigation. There was no blame assessed. You know, we did the best we could with the information we had. Um, the mechanics, the, 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 the flight academy, everybody had done the best they could with the information they had. Sometimes these things just happen, you know. Um, but it does shape your outlook a little bit. Um, because, 
you know, every day since I had been four years old, I had told myself, you know, I'm going to fly airplanes and I'm going to make music. That's going to be what I do with my life. Um, and every single day that I get to wake up now, uh, it feels like, you know, I, I cheated death to be here, to be able to do these things, to be able to live this dream, to, you know, tell my story and, and live these experiences and write this music and, and, and fly these people safely to, you know, their destinations, whether they be vacation, reuniting with loved ones, whatever it might be. Um, and the experience that I've had uh, has given me a better respect for, um, you know, maybe the, the fragility of life. Um, the fact that, um, we have a lot of science, but sometimes you do need to think outside the box. Um, and, uh, the fact that, uh, at the end of the day, all you've got is what's between your ears. <laughs> and, uh, when things go sideways, you need to make a decision. Um, these are all things that I try to take with me. Yeah. I, I gotta say, Mike, uh, you'd be a better man than me, I think, in that position, uh, I don't know about that. Well, because you 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 can't panic, because panic will probably kill you. Um, and you kept your level head, and you had an instructor there, but you know you seemed to be doing the job nonetheless. It was just, yeah, that's just craziness. Um, now here's my yeah, big my it, big it, my big uh, question like, though. Sorry, my big question though. Yeah, yeah. I know. I I think. I probably would have said, "I bet that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing. I'm not getting back in that thing again." Um, <laughs> how, how do you how do you keep that from happening? Or is it just the training going? Look, this is what happened. Blah blah blah. You know, it's it's mechanical. You did the right thing. Boop, you'll beat the next one too. Or I don't know. How do you handle it? Well, it's just a, it's a matter of passion. I think um, you know, anytime you do anything in life, you know, any, any you you step out your front door you cross the street, you know, you're accepting uh, some level of risk, right? Mm -hmm. um, but does that, you know, does that risk of that, you know, 0, 0.000 whatever percent chance that, you know, you might run your car into a light pole, does that keep you from going to the grocery store to get food? Well, no, I mean, I still need to get food. And I know that cars aren't, you know, 100% safe, but nothing is. Uh, so, it becomes a matter of, you know, are, are you are you going to be scared to do the things that you care about or need to do or love to do? Because at that point, you might as well have not survived that incident in the first place because you're not living now. Um, Excellent. So that I, I just I, I try to keep that perspective and it's. I find it's it's not very hard to do. Our time is finite, uh, and when you have a passion that drives you, you um, you always have a, a motivator and a, a reason to wake up. So I just I, I take that uh, um, seriously. You know, I, I try to do my best with that. That's inspiring, actually, Mike. It's a great great words, and I think you should probably leave the folks, maybe those nervous flyers out there listening to your story. Um, and leave the folks with the, with the fact that, well, here's here's a commercial pilot about to tell you how safe flying really is. Well, it absolutely is. Uh, I mean, look, if um, if it wasn't safe, um, I wouldn't do it, no matter how much I love it. Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, when I was a, a pilot in the north, um, you know, flying that uh, propeller airplane, um, 
sometimes on bad weather days or things like that, or I'd fly a, an airplane where the paint was a little chipped or whatever, because who cares about repainting the airplanes? Uh, you know, when you're landing on gravel, it's just going to ding up the paint anyway. So I'd pull up sometimes and it might look a little less than glamorous. And, uh, you know, and this happened a few times where, where people would look at me as I'm about to board the flight and they'd say, is it safe? And my answer was always the same. I said, you know, I value my life so much. They could not pay me enough to get on an airplane that wasn't safe. I'm getting on this airplane. Would you like to join me? Um, and, and they always do. I mean, it makes sense, right? Nobody's going to knowingly get on an airplane that isn't safe. Nobody's going to knowingly do a thing that's, um, you know, got a, a level of risk that just outweighs any benefit. Um, and the fact that, you know, if, if you did come into this a nervous flyer and you're feeling a little more nervous now and, you know, just, just remember, I mean, I mean, the majority of the time, if you're nervous about flying, it's because you've seen headlines. Um, but the reason that those unsafe moments make headlines is because there are millions of safe events for every one that's considered unsafe. Um, if planes crashed left, right and center, it wouldn't be news. Um, so keep that in mind, you know, if you're comfortable putting your shoes on and walking across the street, um, you had a, a much greater chance of getting injured doing that than you do on a commercial airplane. Outstanding. Mike Haggath, pilot, and having had his crazy moment in the sky and is still out there doing it for folks with a smile on his face. Can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Mike. I can't thank you enough for having me, my friend. This this was so much fun. Thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, me me too. Yeah, th- this was great. We should do this again sometime. Cool. Well, don't have another uh, incident, and uh, you know I won't have to have you back on the show. But hey, you know if it comes <laughs> up, uh, give me a call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'll you'll be the first one I call. Thanks for joining us for 1001 True Stories with me, Brian Trombley. And if you think you have a story to share or know someone who does, email me at brian at morinstreetmedia.com. That's brian at morinstreetmedia.com. The link is in the show notes. We enjoy reviews as well as you sharing our show with others. There will be new stories from more interesting people every day, Saturday at noon, Eastern Time. Until next Saturday. This is 1001 True Stories with Brian Trombley. Everybody's got a story. What's yours?